Big question. One of the things that I've been asked on many, many occasions is the whole question, the whole challenge of my free will. And uh, it's asked in so many ways. And this past few weeks has been fascinating as I've just been chatting to different people. People who are both uh, believers in Jesus and people who are not. uh, And getting different perspectives on this whole issue of free will. Now, the interesting thing is, here we are in the 21st century. We're fairly uh, developed. I don't know whether we've started too late to get the Arsenal-Birmingham final score, uh, or is the match still going on? It's still going on. I know that here we are, 21st century, sat at the back on on an iPad, was uh, the game being uh, streamed live uh, through the Internet, uh, what kind of a world? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that when you were growing up? I, I, I just think it's amazing what's available these days. Do you know, you walk down the road and you're talking to somebody the other side of the world on your phone as they're walking down the street as well. It's a different world, isn't it? But at the same time, this debate has raged throughout time. That's, I find that fascinating, that here we are in a 21st century, and yet the very same root issues are being talked about, are being debated, being discussed. I've pulled a few books together, um, not to scare you, (laughs) but more to indicate to you uh, the breadth of this debate, because a lot of people get the idea, is this just all about the Christian faith? Is this about free, free will? Uh, against something, some idea of a, of a sovereign God? Or is it actually bigger than that? Well, to be honest, it's bigger than that. It is way bigger than that. It's a debate that was held uh, really where it started to find its, its first kind of philosophical uh, grounding was in the Greek philosophers. You know, Plato, Aristotle, all of those boys, they started talking about it. Uh, in... Um, Around about 1260, this isn't his book, it's a, it's a series of books, a series of essays about Thomas Aquinas. Thomas Aquinas uh, wrote about it, around about 1260. 1550, Calvin wrote about it. Around about 1750, Jonathan Edwards wrote about it. And here we are today. This is not a Christian book, not by any means. It hardly touches on the issue of the Bible, if it does at all. Ted Honderick, he's the, uh, he, he's the uh, professor of philosophy at uh, UCL. He's written a book, uh, How Free Are You? Question mark. Isn't that fascinating? Here we are, we're sat in the church and we're asking the same question that uh, Ted Honderick, well, we've asked it slightly differently, haven't we? We've made it personal. You know, he asks, how free are you? I'm asking, how free am I? But it's the same thing in university world. He's asked right in that. He takes the view that we don't have a free will. That there is a a deterministic, there's a kind of an underlying which causes us to make all of those decisions. Here's another guy, Dan Dennett, uh, Freedom Evolves. He believes the other side of the fence. That's interesting, isn't it? Two guys who have absolutely no time for the Bible whatsoever and yet are engaged in this debate. If you want to uh, uh, read any of those, then that's fine. 
uh, I'll pass it on. I can't see a whole load of people rushing to get the ISBN numbers of those at the end of this evening's discussion. But how, how about this one? Uh, the Oxford Handbook of Free Will. Uh, it holds doors open brilliantly. Uh, alternatively, it's a whole mass of different essays and perspectives on the issue of free will, arguing between the two sides. Freedom, or is it determined? I, I mention those just to give you a, a kind of a perspective of how big this is. It's something which just uh, kind of flows through our thinking as human beings. But if that's all a bit highbrow, um, we can drop it right down and reflect on uh, Woodstock, where uh, Richie Havens uh, sang an impromptu song on the stage at Woodstock entitled Freedom. Google it. Uh, it's uh, a fascinating recording. He sang it uh, completely off the cuff, singing about freedom, singing about a desire for freedom. At the same time, we've got, you know, the Freddie Mercury singing about wanting to break free. There is just something written into us that, that addresses this all the time. We want to be free, don't we? And yet underlying, a kind of nagging at our thinking all the time is, well, are we? Are we? The other interesting thing is just about every society, every culture throughout time, and every religion has a view on this. The Hindu religion, for example, uh, believes in karma, the freedom to choose. Uh, but then karma, uh, as it's described, brings in the demand that requires God to implement karma. So the choosing of good results in good. The choosing of evil results in karma reflecting back on you. And everything balances I found that quite interesting because it seemed to me if you're free to choose uh, evil, then at some point down the line, if God is going to intervene and choose otherwise and bring a balance, then suddenly you must have to lose something, mustn't you? If you can't choose good in the future or you can't choose evil in the future because it's balanced by God. There's lots of different things. So I want, to, I want to just ask the question here, because I think there is a crisis. Why has it dominated the debate? Why is it that as human beings we just keep asking this question again and again? I think it's quite simple, really. We have written down deep into us we have a desire, don't we? We have a, a conviction that we must be free and autonomous. We must be free to choose. We've got to be, haven't we? I, I, I mean, here we are this afternoon. We've got to be able to make the decision, haven't we, about walking through the door into this place. We've got to be able to make the decision as we leave this place, whether to visit KFC or whether to visit McDonald's 
or something a little bit healthier. We've got to be able to make those decisions. It's about what we are as human beings, isn't it? Being able to choose, being able to make decisions, being able to weigh up and go in one direction or another. We know that we need that, don't we? And yet at the same time, and I guess even within this room, and I would say that with some confidence because of the conversations that I've had over these past few weeks with people who don't believe in the message of the Bible, who have said to me, you know, there is no free will. I don't have a freedom. I thought, wow, that's interesting. I don't have that freedom. It's all, it's all decided. I just think, wow, why that? Why is it that even though we know we want it, there's something that says, I haven't got it? Well, well let, me, let me just give you a little bit of an example. I might decide that in my will, I want to walk out of that door this evening at the end of this discussion I want to walk down the stairs, I want to turn right at the end and head down the main mile and stop off for a Starbucks. That's what I'm going to do. The problem is, my will can be foiled by so many other issues, can't it? So many other things can stop that from happening. I might actually, you know, not wanting to be particularly morbid about it, I might actually not make it out of the door. But let's not dwell on that one. Let's think about another alternative. Let's think about the fact that the guy down in Starbucks who's decided at uh, whatever time it is, 10 minutes before I'm about to order my coffee, that it's been fairly quiet this evening. And his will is that I'm going to close early. You see, there's just in a very glib way uh, a little bit of a picture of the crisis, isn't it? My will cannot always be exercised. My desire, you know, the freedom not only to, de- to, to, to desire but to actually do can be foiled by all sorts of things. My will can come into crisis and conflict with your will. And then who wins? Now, that is the issue which just makes me begin to wonder, am I actually free? Let's get a little bit deeper. I am, the beginning of the new cycling season, I am trying desperately to do something about fitness. And um, I'm finding it quite interesting, really, because my will is to get fit, and yet when that really tasty looking sweet appears in front of me I find a crisis in my will I am desperately wanting to do one thing and yet I see and I find myself doing another thing now let's get a little bit deeper I find that I desire to do certain things I find that I want to do the right thing in so many different situations I find that I want to live in a particular way. I find that I want to do the good thing 
And yet so often I find myself not doing what I want to do, but doing something else very different. Let me just speak for all of us. I find myself wanting to live a life which is respectable. I find myself wanting to do the right thing. And yet, at the same time, I find myself driven by selfishness. Now that just, if we're just open to that, it just begins to make us think, maybe I am not as free as I thought I was. Maybe there is a little bit more going on than my ability all the time to decide. I can be foiled by so many different things. I can be foiled by your will. I can be foiled by my own uh, failures. I can be ultimately foiled by my own moral irresponsibility, which is at crisis with my will. What a what a challenge, what an issue that we face. Somebody's drawn a picture which we can get up on the screen, I think, which puts it brilliantly. He said it's like this. Perhaps we are like monkeys riding on the backs of tigers, desperately making up stories about being in control. That is brilliant. I'm like that monkey stood on the back of that tiger. I've got my will. I feel as if I'm steering in in one direction. And yet I'm sat on a tiger which underneath me is heading in a completely different direction. You know, because let's just ask the question. Why do I want the Starbucks? I'd love to say that it's... Uh, all because of um, the very best of motives. Uh, But maybe I'm shaped by the culture. Maybe my culture is saying to me that if I drink a Starbucks, Starbucks, all you guys will think something of me. Don't tell me what you will think of me. But, you know, I I, want to create a certain, subconsciously, a certain impression. I, I want to fit into a certain way of being. If I was brought up in a completely different culture, in a completely different part of the world, that would never be a decision that I would make. Am I as free as I appear to be? I think the answer is no. I think there is far more going on than first appears. I think I am far more... uh, like a monkey on the back of a tiger, desperately making up stories about being in control. That is where we are, I would suggest. But the problem with that, the desperate issue that that raises, is if I walk away from this and say, do you know what? It's all just going to happen. It's all determined. I lose something of what it is to be me, don't I? I lose something of what it is to be a decision-making, autonomous human being. And that is the problem that we face. But more than that, I lose 
responsibility and accountability before you. Imagine if I was able to say, it's all out of my control. It's all determined. It's all decisions made already. So therefore, the decisions that I make, I'm no longer responsible for. Back in 1926, a guy by the name of Darrow defended a case uh, for two young men, Leopold and Loeb, 1926. They were um, uh, proponents of Nietzsche, uh, and they uh, were determined to come up with the idea of committing the perfect crime and getting away with it. They kidnapped a 14-year-old boy, bludgeoned him to death, uh, and sought to get, to, to get away with the crime for not, no other reason than trying to commit the perfect crime. Leopold dropped his glasses at the scene. They were caught uh, and they were taken to court. Darrow, who was the, um, the uh, defending attorney, said this. Who are we to say what could have influenced these boys to do this? What kind of genetic or environmental influences could have caused them to commit this crime? Do you see the problem with taking away my responsibility? You see, if I am able to use that defense, if I am able to say, I can walk away from absolutely anything and say, hey guys, it's just the way it is. It's just determined that way. We cannot live like that. And that, friends, is why this issue is a crisis. We cannot live where we're not accountable. They actually ended up uh, getting a life sentence for the murder. I don't know whether, I don't know how the jury worked that out against that defense. Maybe they said, well, actually, yeah, it was predetermined that they were going to kill him, but guess what? It was predetermined they were going to get a life sentence as well. That's just the way it is. I don't know. But can we live like that? We can't. We cannot live without accountability, can we? We cannot live without personal responsibility. We need to be able to hold responsibility uh, for those decisions that we make. And yet, we have that consistent, nagging issue that we are not in control. And that, friends, is why this issue has raged for the past centuries. I want to ask, what does the Bible have to say about that? Is there a way in which these two things can be reconciled? The responsibility that we have to have in the freedom of the decisions that we make, and yet at the same time, a greater perspective. An issue which is, or a, or a, a Bible message which says... I am the God who will bring low this nation, God says, about the Assyrian nation. I will do that. That is what is going to happen. I have determined it. Who will stand in my way? Who can stand in the way of God? And yet, 
somehow God is determining that, and yet we're making free decisions. I think the answer is quite simply this. Our logical approach is just too small. You see, as we look at it, we look at it and we say, it can't be both. It's got to be one or the other. It's got to be either that we are uh, in the hands of a God who is sovereign over all things, or we're free. It can't be both, because logically, they clash against each other. And I would say, yes, you're absolutely right. And when we get to that point... I thank God that there is a God described in the Bible which is bigger than our logic. That is the only answer. It is actually the reason why we end up with this issue fighting and fighting and never finding reconciliation. We have spent the past 1,800 years or so trying to answer this issue. And we've not got very far. I would suggest that is because the answer is not found in us. The reconciliation is not found in our ability to hold that kind of logic. But I want to suggest to you that there is a God who is supreme beyond our understanding who can hold those kind of challenging issues together and say, I'm not confused by it. They don't clash for me, I would also suggest that if God is less than that, if God can be contained within our logic, he is no longer God. God has to be supreme. God has to be beyond our thinking. He has to be able to say to us, on the one hand, I hold you accountable, and on the other hand, I am holding all things for the whole of this world in my hand. That's the first thing I would say. We need to answer this by understanding that God is bigger than the question. But secondly, you know that nagging I can't even meet with my own expectations of myself. I can't even do what I wish I would do. I can't even do what I would will to do. The Bible gives us an answer to that as well. It says, you know what? You do have a natural bias. You do have a broken direction that you are heading in. You do have a tendency which you continually find yourself heading down. And, and at one at the same time, it is both your determination and at the same time, you find yourself victims of the same thing. How does that work? Well, Jesus says, it was... Uh, maybe I'll need to give you a little bit of background. Jesus was talking to some religious uh, zealots. And they were saying, you know, being good, being accepted by God, being, being clean before God is all about the things that we can see 
from the outside. So if I wear clean clothes, if I wash my hands before each meal, if I do all the ceremonial things, then God's going to accept me. I do all of these things. And Jesus turned around and said, you just, you guys are way off the mark. You don't understand the issue. He said this, from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. What was Jesus saying? He was saying quite simply this, you need to understand about the human condition. You need to understand what you are really like. You have a natural tendency. That's why I said we are both the perpetrators and the victims at the same time. Because we read some of those things. Out of our hearts comes sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery. Out of our hearts come those things. So at the same time, we can be the perpetrators of that, can't we? We can be the ones who cause pain to other people by living like that. Isn't it amazing how often we do things in that huge list that Jesus said and we find ourselves heading in that direction and at the same time we're saying to ourselves, I wish I didn't do that. Uh, there's a TV program called The First 48 on uh, crime TV. follows the first 48 hours following, from, following on from a crime. Critical time in policing, apparently, the first 48 hours. Uh, and very often they catch the guy who's uh, committed the murder. Time and time and time again, he says, I just don't know what came over me. I, I don't know why I did it. It just happened just happened it's not like me I just find that absolutely fascinating that is it isn't it I don't want to do it and yet I do it it's not the way I want to live but it's the way I live and Jesus says you know why because that's the orientation of your heart you are orientated towards selfishness you are orientated towards your own uh, your own exaltation in whatever situation that might be You are headed in that direction and so we can be perpetrators and at the same time we can be victims of that, can't we? Who is it that is on the receiving end of that death? Well, somebody plus the family, isn't it? You see a broken family coming to terms with the loss within the first 48. See, Jesus says the reality is you think you're in control. (laughs) What's the tiger? What is the tiger that's heading you in a different direction? It's the issue of our hearts that's continually taking us in a direction that although we wish that we could live respectable, upright lives and lives that everybody loved us, we know that we're driven by something. What is that tiger? Jesus answers that question. He says it's deep in your will of selfishness, your will of selfishness. And whenever you get a group of people together, let's say 
a community, let's say a country, let's say a whole population of the world, and we say, right, you all have your own will, and every one of us is driven towards a will that is all about me, what is going to happen? Crisis. What is the resolution to that? Jesus taught his disciples to pray this. I find this just eye-opening when it comes to this issue. He says to his disciples, pray like this. And you probably know it, many of you. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Do you remember the Lord's Prayer? Line two. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Whose will? Your will. Not my will. Jesus came into the world to establish a kingdom for people who can be keyed in no longer to their own wills, but to a will of God. A will which is achieving his purpose of securing a people to worship him. And then he says this to those who come into, into relationship with, it, with, with them. He says this. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. That's the heart issue. You know, we're kind of we're slaves to it. But then he says this. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. In other words, you can't stay with me forever if you're living like that. It's only sons who can dwell with, within the kingdom forever. And then he says this. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I want freedom. Because written down deep inside of me, I know that part of being a human being is that opportunity, that ability to look at options and to make decisions. But the Bible says... And my own experience says the problem is I am predetermined in the wrong direction. I want to live one way and I can't. And he says this, I'll set you free. I'll set you free so that the will one day, and freedom is a process for God. It's a process which is finally realized when Jesus returns. When will I get my total freedom back, completely and utterly? When will I be completely free? When he returns. And one of the marks, I think, this is suggesting to us, of the new heaven and the new earth and eternity with Jesus is that I will be free to make decisions for all of eternity that will never, never be marked by my condition as it currently is. I will be free. That free will will be re-established. 
perfectly, completely. That's one of the marks. I will be human again, fully, completely, able to make free decisions, not marked by my condition, not marked by the mess that I'm in. Because all sin will be banished from that kingdom. That influence will no longer be there. That's why Jesus said, I've come so that you can truly, truly be free. I guess that in lots of ways this is a, this is a work in progress for me. It's an area that I've been looking at for a long time now. And this is still at the starting point. But as I look at it, I become more and more convinced. We've got to live. We've got to live as though we have freedom. Because we are accountable before God. We have to live like that. And yet at the same time, I am all at sea. I am lost. I am fallen apart. I am destroyed. If I do not at the same time have a God who is sovereignly over all things who is holding my hand every step of the way and shaping my pathway. I need them both. I need to live with them both. I can't reconcile it, but it's the only way that there is a logic to it to me. 